Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. You know, Sunday after Sunday, it gives me great joy to be able to present a message to you that the Lord has laid upon my heart. And any pastor who's to preach generally spends a lot of time not only preparing the message, but allowing the Spirit of God to incubate that message in his heart. And for me, I enjoy God's Word so much, and yet at times it is very convicting for me as I see things here, I'm ready to preach, and I know I need to get corrected in my own life. But yet to be able to share God's Word with the people I love so much, I carry on my heart, I think of you often, I pray for you, Carol does the same. And then to have us get together like this on Sunday, I love the holy hum on the lanai before we begin, and sometimes how difficult it is to get you to come on in to get ready for worship because you're so excited talking to one another, and how you linger afterwards fellowshipping with one another. There are many churches that aren't just like that, and what a blessing that that is, and It's a blessing too, last Wednesday evening, you know, the Christmas Eve service that we had and it was so special in here. The candles were all lit and flickering. The music was, in my opinion, the best music that we have had in such a long time here at this church. We had so many wonderful people singing and playing. We had our choir, we had the praise team. We had Mary, we had Dawn, we had Sarah, we had Deborah signing one of the songs, we had um, uh, Pastor Charlie and Pastor Dennis reading from Scripture. It was just a wonderful time to get together and to be with you. And again, what a joy that was. And for those of you who are unable to be here, just know that you were missed. We love you and we care for you and we know you're where you should be, but at the same time, we loved you and we missed you. And you know, I guess as a pastor of a church, you want the church to really glorify the Lord. And one of the ways we glorify the Lord is to allow His character, His Christ-likeness, the character of Christ, godliness, to live within us and then to come out from us. And so that's why we've selected this series called the ABCs of Character Building. And even though we talk about a particular character trait, there is so much more than what I share with you. And I want to be very quick to tell you that I don't want to just merely give you a list of principles. I want you to see it in a bigger body than that and how important the character is. In fact, I think character is the foundation of all true success. A person may have money, but lack character. A person may have other possessions, but lack character. A person may be even lifted up with power and prestige, but still lack character. And character is important whether or not you have money or power or prestige or any form of resources. And that character that we need to have is not just a self-manufactured, sin-managed character. It needs to be really the character of Christ lived out through us. So character really is important. For example, if we looked at one character trait, which is attentiveness. Now, we won't study that. There's so many character traits. But just think with me for a moment about that one character trait of attentiveness. Here's an example. Husband and wife are in the morning busily getting ready to go off to work. And the wife says to the husband, Would you please pick up Amy today on your way home? I'm unable to do that because I have some things that I have to do, so I won't be able to do that. 
Well, the husband whose mind is already on an early morning meeting that was very important uh, said yes, but really wasn't listening. He wasn't attentive. So he led her to believe that he agreed that he would pick her up, only to find out that when he arrived home for dinner that he had neglected to pick up his daughter. And so what did that do? It became a domino effect. The poor frightened daughter not knowing who is to pick her up. The wife was reasonably upset because she counted on the husband to do something that he said he would do, but because of inattentiveness, he didn't do it. And then, of course, what that does to a man, and you men know sometimes when you do something like that, you want to kind of blame a little bit, but in reality, you know that you've really goofed and you've really blown it. And so really, when we have character that's missing in our life, it affects us personally. We know that we don't. And then it begins to affect other relationships around us. But most important, when we don't allow his character to be in us and then lived out through us, we have a hindered relationship with the Lord. And oh, how that grieves the Lord. And really, I believe for a true Christian, it even grieves them because they know that they're missing that particular character trait. And so what I've done is I've tried to put for you a definition of character, biblical character. Would you look at it in your little outline there? And I'm going to read it to you. And in just a moment, we're going to read it out loud together. Because I believe there's some rich principles just on the concept of character. So character is the combination of moral qualities which show forth the righteousness of Christ in and through the life of of a Christian. And so it's not just one character trait means that you have character. It just means that we have that one character trait. But true character of Christ is the embodiment of all of his character in us, lived out through us for the glory of God. Would you read that little definition out loud with me together? And so as a family, we have ownership at least hearing it together. Character is the combination of moral qualities which show forth the righteousness of Christ in and through the life of a Christian. So we're taking Christ's righteousness and his character to let it live out from us. Well, today we're going to learn about another character trait. It's the character trait of benevolence. Now, notice how the 28th president, Woodrow, Le Woodrow Wilson, linked together character and benevolence. And here's the quote, as you can see. He says this, if you will think about what you ought to do for other people, kind of the concept of benevolence, your character will take care of itself. And you might want to think about that. There's some truth in that. As we begin to think that our life is not for ourselves, as it says in the book of Philippians, but to be lived out for others, how important that is. Now, before I give you another definition on what true benevolence might be, let me remind us of something. As we talk about benevolence, some of you might be scratching your head and you're saying, well, benevolence means to be giving things and giving gifts and stuff like that. And this is the holiday and I sure did that. I sent out my letters. I gave out my gift cards. I gave gifts to people. I did a little random acts of kindness with cookies and brownie and fudge and some of those kinds of things. Well, for those of you that are listening to me, maybe for the first time, let me introduce to you our fellowship here at International we are loaded with people that have genuine benevolence that is beating deep within their heart and how great that is. So you might again say, well, why, why are you parking on this? It's because I'd like for all of us to know that sometimes benevolence goes beyond a holiday that sometimes triggers our benevolence. 
You could think about that. Mother's Day sometimes triggers our benevolence toward our mom or toward our dad. Maybe Valentine's might even trigger a little bit of benevolence toward our maid or a boyfriend or girlfriend that it might be. Birthdays will trigger some form of benevolence. Maybe when someone goes through a crisis or tragedy, that might be a little bit of benevolence. But really the true character of benevolence is something that doesn't often need to have a trigger to set off our benevolent spirit. It's something that we already know that we are. Well, so let's talk about benevolence. What does it mean? So just taking it from a regular desk dictionary, you're going to find this. It says that it's a disposition to do good or kindness. It's just, in other words, it's just who you are. It's your disposition to do something good for other people. Well, then I went back to the first dictionary in the American language, the Noah Webster Dictionary, and he says this. He says, benevolence is the love of mankind accompanied with a desire to promote their happiness. Well, I know that if I do a good deed for someone, it could make them happy, but generally a good deed for someone else should really promote their well-being, and maybe partnered in that could be some happiness, but it is looking out for other people. So maybe Woodrow Wilson had something together with Noah Webster. Well, then I went into Scripture, and I wanted to find out, what about the Bible? What does it say would be a good definition of benevolence? Well, when I went through a couple of translations, both Old and New Testament, you might be chagrined to know that I couldn't find the word benevolent or benevolence in there. So I thought, how can I present this to the people? I really felt in my heart that benevolence is a biblical character trait. So I decided not to take man's word benevolence, but to see what God would use. And it would be translated in such words as to give, to bestow, or to grant. Now when I did that, I decided because there were so many different words in the original languages of Hebrew and Greek to just stay in the New Testament. And when I did, I found that there were ten variations of Greek words for the words give or bestow or to grant. Now I'm not here trying to give you all these Greek words. Some of you could care less about that. But what you do need to know that the concept of giving is rich in Scripture. So would you allow me the moment, not so much to give you the Greek word, that's not necessary. You can get that online later on. I'll put my whole outline there through our, our uh, Ron will do that. But listen to some of these. Just listen very carefully as I want to open up benevolence. Here's what it says. It says to bestow, to give freely, to give up what is one's own, to return something to someone else who's given something to you, to restore, to reward to pay wages, to deliver, to impart, to share. And the examples were your life or your things or yourself. One is to commit in the sense of delivering or entrusting something special to you but to someone else. To give before or first, to be the first in line to be there to give. It denotes to show favor or kindness or bestow graciously. That particular Greek word, charismai, is a word that was used as an example of God bestowing upon us. So we have an example of the character trait of benevolence, so to speak, in God. And we know where he lives once we trust Christ as Savior. It goes on to say it means to hold out or to hold towards someone. It means to furnish, to provide, to supply, to minister even. And it also means to assign or apportion, pay wages. And finally it means... And I like this, to give more 
and to add to. Well, taking all of those together, I've chosen to put together a definition of benevolence that I think could still work for us that would be biblical and practical. So if you'd like to look at that now, you can fill in the blank if you haven't done that already. I want you to listen carefully. It goes like this. Benevolence is demonstrating an attitude of generosity by giving my time, talents, and treasures to meet the needs of others. Now, if you've already written that down, demonstrating an attitude of generosity, I think that's important because it begins with an attitude of generosity. So the question you have to ask yourself would be this. Do you have a difficult time giving something of yourself away to others? Now, let me remind you of this, especially those of you who know Christ as Savior. When you trust Christ as Savior, God imparts spiritual gifts to those who know Christ as Savior. One of those gifts is the gift of giving or the gift of benevolence. Now, for those of you that have that gift and you're walking with the Lord, you find it very easy for you to see that what you have has been given to you by the Lord and you want to give out to other people. In fact, I jokingly but still somewhat seriously say that if God's given you the gift of giving, He's also given you the gift of getting because He won't give you a gift to give something away if He doesn't give you the ability to get so you have something to give away. He won't frustrate that gift in you. Now let's come back to this. On the other hand, not everybody has the gift of giving. So we won't dip into our gift of giving if we don't have it, but we can dip into Christ who has all the gifts so we can still be very benevolent whether or not we have the gift of giving. That is why, for some of you, and you could look over our congregation, some people just give all the time. A lot of that is because it's easy for them. They have the gift. On the other hand, it could be very difficult for them to serve, and you've got the gift of serving, and they're wondering, well, how can you just get dirty for God all the time? It's because you have the gift and you find that easy. But regardless of whether or not we have the gift of giving or serving, it's all found in Christ and we can bring that out. So, it's an attitude of generosity, but it's not just an attitude, it's demonstrated. Now we have three words, time, talents, and treasures. Probably could have given you more, but let's focus on the term time. How can I give my time as a benevolent person? Well, your time could be linked up in being a good listener when someone wants to talk. And you know those chatty Cathy's in your life that sometimes just want to rattle, 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 rattle. Sometimes in their rattling, they're able to get their thoughts together and finally get it out, and they just need someone to listen to them. So for you, it doesn't take talent to do that. You don't need money to do that. It just takes the highest commodity you have, which is your time. Some of you, it doesn't take great skill to drive a car but you're going to give your time to pick up someone else's kids from school or at a soccer game. So you're giving your time doing something. The second word there is talent. Some of you have been given some tremendous talent. It could be counseling. It could be helping someone else. We're going to use this phrase. It could be a skill set that you have. Now, for example, if your plumbing broke in your house and you needed to have someone come pretty quickly because it was starting to leak... I would probably be the last person you would call to come over with a wrench. I don't have the skill set of being a plumber or an electrician or a carpenter. I can dig, I can paint, and little things like that. On the other hand, you might call me, and it's just maybe I would have in my network people I know that can do some plumbing for you. And so I'll give you my time by calling, but not my talent. 
So some of you can give talent, but you can't give time. Some of you can give time, but not talent. But it should come from a heart that has the disposition to be benevolent, and you're willing to demonstrate it. The next word is the word treasures there, of course, and you know what that is. Sometimes it's actually objects. It could be money. Some of you have been blessed financially. Some of you have uh, certain businesses that you have commodity of things that you can give, and most of you do that already, and we're grateful for that. But you can look at resources, things that you have that you can impart to others. But look at the last phrase. It's not just to give your time away indiscriminately. That's wasting your time. It's not just use your talent to try to fix everything in the world for other people. It's when they have a genuine need that you're there to be a need meter. And so it's wrapped around the needs. So I hope that might work for you. It does for me. Now let's look at the second question. How is benevolence illustrated in Scripture? Well, because God is a benevolent God, you will see His benevolence demonstrated from Old Testament to New Testament. In fact, it was interesting this morning in my quiet time, not even going to this passage, but just being there as I'm just reading through Scripture, I came across a passage at the end of, end of the book of Joshua, where Joshua is speaking to the leaders at the time, and he was speaking for God. God gave him this message, and he says, and God said to these people, and he says, remember when you get into the promised land, you're getting land that you did not own. You're getting cities that you did not build. How did he get all of those? Sure, other people did it, but God gave it to them. So God, all through Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, is a benevolent God. But I selected one from the New Testament, I wanted to speak to the ladies, at least for a moment right now, to use her as an example. Her name is Dorcas, her name was Tabitha, so when we use the name Dorcas or Tabitha, we're talking about the same person. But before I go much further, let me make sure you're understanding this. It does not mean only women can be benevolent men, and it doesn't mean you're only benevolent when you provide things for widows. The whole concept is there's people that had a need and someone wanted to meet the need and in this illustration it's Tabitha or Dorcas that is meeting this particular need. Now stay with me for just a moment. Where is Joppa? Joppa is about 34, if you looked at a map, about 34 miles northwest of Jerusalem right on the water. So it was a sea town we might say. So most of the people in that sea town would live by the sea because they're men would be involved in fishing, perhaps getting fish to sell, to bring home, etc. Some were poor, so they just lived near the water so they can eat whatever they catch to survive. So in that little town, there probably were some wealthy people, but there were a whole lot of people that had needs, particularly women that didn't have a lot of clothes. One commentator, as I was studying this, said that it was quite likely that because ships weren't like they are today, that there could be various times that ships would sink way out. And because of the tide circuit, that the people who would die, sometimes clothes, old tattered clothes, would wash up on the beach, and they would be looking for things like beachcombers to be able to pick up items for themselves. So I got thinking, all right, here's this lady. Now, I don't know if she had a big lanai that she could look down upon the water. I don't know anything about that, so I can't read that into there. But I can say this, this woman knew who were those in the midst that had special needs that had nobody to provide for them, widows without certain garments. So this is this lady, Tabitha, or Dorcas. So who is she? She was a female follower of Christ, or a female Christ follower. 
And she was a person who was willing to be used as an instrument of God. And you could read all about that, how important that was. Well, why did the widows grieve when Dorcas died? You heard the story read to you by John. You know that already, that this wonderful lady who is known for being a Christ follower, one who did a lot of good deeds for other people, well, she finally died. And when she did, what happened then? Why did they mourn? Well, she showed no favoritism in giving all the widows garments. So you might want to mark that. She showed no favoritism. So here's what you can take back from that. That sometimes we want to be a little bit more selective on who we want to give to. And sometimes that's right. We have to be uh, good stewards with what we have. We can't give everything we have to everybody because we don't have enough to give to everybody. But on the other hand, we ought not to be driven by favoritism. We have a favorite person, a person who especially likes us, so they get the better garment. This person here has done something for me more often, so I'm going to do something a little bit more for them. So the question is, is we have to be careful in our benevolence, because even as the Lord looked upon us, the grace fell upon the just and the unjust. All right, the second is that she gave them what they needed the most. In this case, would be clothes. So let me make sure you understand this. The principle is that she gave them what they needed. In this case, they needed clothes. So it does not merely mean that you're benevolent if you have clothes. Now, may I quickly say this, that there are some churches that often have what they call clothes closets or food pantries. In fact, one church I pastored, we had what was known as a benevolent fund. All of that was good. Clothes for those who needed clothes, food that needed clothes, benevolent fund for those who needed a little bit of cash to take care of a rent payment or electric payment, something like that. So again, it's across the board. But in this case, the illustration would be for clothes. Why would these women need clothes? They were widows. No husband to provide for them. And you can know what those needs might be. So they needed most were clothes. The next is she gave her time, energy, and resources. These were handmade garments. I don't read anywhere where she went to a garage sale, Ross's, or perhaps even to the flea market. She made these herself. I was talking to Pam Kong's dad. After we prayed with the family and read scripture, I said to them that I'm going to wait outside in the uh, hallway if any of you want to speak with me. And so the father and son came out and they didn't share anything personal. They were just having this time of reflection. And, and he said, I've been married to that woman for 60 years. What a wonderful woman she was. And I commended him on being faithful to his marital vows and the legacy that they've left with their family and grandkids, etc. And he said, she's so talented. And I said, really? Tell me about some of her talents because... I even told the family. I did not know her. I met her maybe once, maybe twice, but I didn't know her. He said, oh, she loved to sew and to cook even though she had a job working for the state. She loved to sew. What did she sell? Hawaiian quilts. She made a Hawaiian quilt for each major family in our family. And I said, you know, I don't know. I've not seen those quilts, but I can only imagine when she made those quilts, she picked out the color. She picked out what little... Uh, items she wanted to sew on it. It wasn't just slapping two pieces of cloths together with stitching. He said, oh no. She would think a long time what each one of those little uh, parts of the quilt would look like to tell a story for that family member. I said, you know, I have some for my grandmother too. I don't display them, don't know what I'm going to do with them, but I'll never part with that quilt I've got. And he laughed about that. Well, that reminded me of Dorcas here who made handmade garments for these ladies 
And so her act wasn't just that she made these garments, it's that she knew these ladies, which brings us to the next point. She got involved with them. I think she knew each lady. I think she knew each lady, what color they like, what styles that they like. Now, I know I may be reading more in this, but I do see this. It says, while she was with them. So there's something between the lines I might want to draw from, and that would be this. It's quite probable that Dorcas had a little bit of means about her, a little bit of money. She had, she had a little bit more well-to-do, a little bit more of an allowance. But these ladies were poor. But she still was willing to, quote, hobnob with those who didn't have. There was no class system between Dorcas, who had some means, and the poor widow ladies who didn't. She was with them. She loved them. She wanted to give them something of value that would be so meaningful to them. Now, I can't preach this exactly to you. I can just leave you with the Holy Spirit to say, don't you want God's benevolent spirit within you? And now, don't you want to spend time with people so you know exactly what they would like rather than just giving a gift because they gave you a gift? Oh, the joy that she must have had when she did that. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore@makeitclear.org. at Thank you, and remember to make it clear.